welcome back to the Daily Dose of Blackness podcast. My name is Barima, and before you listen to this week's episodes, make sure you go subscribe to our YouTube channel at Daily Dose of Blackness and go check out our website, www.dailydoseofblackness.com, and read all our new articles. Also, please sign up for our Black History Month virtual talent show for black youth. We are accepting submissions all through February 2021, and we have lots of really good prizes. Visit our website for more info. And lastly, this episode is going to be a re-upload of a conversation we had with the one and only Manny Jean Brown Tricky, who was a part of the Little Rock Nine, a group of young African Americans who are at the forefront of the desegregation movement in the United States. Please enjoy this week's episode. Happy Black History Month. Uh, Minnie Jean Brown was born on September 21st, 1967 in Little Rock, Arkansas. She's now a social activist and has spoken out about many social issues like the envir- like environmental issues, gender and social injustices, peacemaking, and many more. She's a political figure and a member of the Little Rock Nine. The Little Rock Nine was a group of African-American high school students who had experienced hardships after enrolling in an all-white high school in 1957. Despite all their racist experiences, they still fought their way through school. To, to this day, Minnie Jean Brown continues to inspire others by sharing her story, which urges others to fight against racial injustices. Thank you. What does um, Black excellence, you know, mean to you, you know, you personally? I guess that's, is that a concept or what? Like, maybe just as, like, the phrase and, like, what makes you, like, inspired as, like, you know, um, a Black woman? Okay, so uh, what I'll say is what my mother taught me was be the best you can be in whatever you do. That's pretty simple. Um, Some things I have been the best and some people... Sometimes I've been the worst, right? But to have that sort of as a thought in my mind. Uh, the other other part, I think, that was part of the thought process was you have, for as a Black person, let's start with person, you have to be twice as good to get half as far. And as a black female, I'd say you have to be four times as good to get a quarter as far. Um, So rather than being um, devastated by that, I just say, I'm just going to do what I can, the best I can, so that I please me, because I can't really please everybody else. Uh, so I think that is the nature of excellence, is to do the best we can in whatever it is we do. Right. And just a follow-up question to that. Like, um, it says, uh, we listened to your tag talk about nonviolence, and in it you said that nonviolence is creative. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that? Well, I think nonviolence uh, thought... I'm going to propose that nonviolence thought came about through people who had no power. And if we want to talk about power as being weapons or 
power over. And if we look at modern society, <laughs> anybody who's doing anything is up against a major death machine. There are countries, you know, nuclear weapons, tanks, riot gear, all kinds of very powerful weaponry. So nonviolence in in the way that it I've understood it is to weaponize love. Does that make sense? Yeah, yes and no. Like cuz I don't have I don't I don't have um I don't have nuclear weapons. I don't have guns. I don't have that kind of firepower. The only, and and so that's simplified. But I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Everything is about stories. I worked with some indigenous peoples in Ontario, and we were part of a blockade to prevent clear cutting of old growth forests. It's one of Canadians' famous things: clear cutting old growth forests here, there, and everywhere. So they were, we were, blockading it, and they were kind of disorganized. And so I, I said, how about we do some training? In the, and the cops were treating them pretty bad, right? How about we do some nonviolence training? And we did. And the way that they behaved created a response on the part of the police who started treating them with respect. You can shift people's thought you, with I mean if you could look at the Little Rock Nine who were brutalized every day we practiced nonviolence because we were smart there were 2,000 of them and 9 of us I mean if nothing else you know better the odds are pretty high right so I mean yeah you would want to fight you want to plow somebody in the face for kicking you down the flight of stairs. But it was their behavior, the mob, the people behaving like monsters, that taught me, I don't ever want to be like that. I'm not going to be that kind of person. And so actually, the one of the... Uh, I, I find it kind of interesting that their very violence taught me to be nonviolent. Now, they haven't learned their lesson yet. They're still crazy and mob, like mobs and all that. But it, it so it's, it's spiritual because some of it is in different religious sort of principles. It's intellectual because you really have to learn something, think, think deeply, think logically, critically. So it stimulates our intellectual potential. That's how I see it. Um, it's practical. Because, for instance, in Minnesota, where they say there is looting, 
boy, when you start messing with property, people will really get you. So the police have riot gear. They're using tear gas. Where being nonviolent, being dignified, it's not turning the other cheek. It is, it's actually, I think it's a radical form of behavior. That it's, it's like in your face. I won't finish that. Seriously in your face, in a different way. In your face, intellectually. In your way, face, spiritually. In your face, practically. So I can't say how powerful I've seen it. And some of the most significant social movements have had at their basis nonviolence because people didn't have weapons. They didn't have the power. So we need to know more about those things. So I love nonviolence. That doesn't mean I don't get mad. That doesn't mean I don't stop around, stomp around swearing at home. That doesn't mean that I don't feel anger. But then I, when I'm talking to young people, I'm, don't get mad, get even. Take that anger and turn it into something. Knock the top off the test. Learn something. Know more than your teachers. Be really smart. Be really thoughtful. So you take it and you transform it. I mean, you don't have to be in a demonstration to be nonviolent. It's every day in our lives. So speaking about like anger and kind of tying up to that, um, mm -hmm. you've talked, it up, talked before about like vulnerability and like crying and trying to like let your emotions out and how that's really important to you. How do you think that can really like tie up to like the black community and how important do you think that is for the black community? Uh, yeah, uh, truth telling, I think, right. Um, so I think there need to be spaces where people can talk about their problems. So I have, I have my daughter uh, has a podcast and she and her husband did um, a, a just kind of talk about mental health. And he, people were saying, oh, black people don't do mental health, which is crazy. Of course they do. Uh, in one of my lives, I was a very good therapist and people do talk about their lives and have need to so what they what what's been done in there I've gone to hundreds maybe a thousand hundreds of schools in the US not so many in Canada and what students of color do is they say they need a space to talk about their issues well primarily the schools don't like it and then people say, well, where's the white consciousness raising? Well, make your own, okay? So in part, there needs to be a safe space. I think this is 
you have that safe space. I think that's what we're doing now. All right. Um, the next question I have for you is, um, you know, how does it feel, you know, to talk about, you know, your experiences and like more so like painful experiences that you had to go through over and over again? Uh, how does it feel to talk about it? Yeah, because, you know, I, I'm pretty sure you're you probably have like it's not it's not a known secret that, you know, you've probably had to go through people asking you the same question and it must be hard on you to like relive them. Okay, well, okay, so I have a personal rule that I do before any session is to empty myself of all the other questions that have ever been asked of me and to see whatever questions come to me as the first time. And the reason I'd get bored if I gave this, you know, if I just kept giving the same answer and I can't give the same answer because I'm a different person every, every time I've asked it. I mean, between one time of asking, being asked the question, I've read three books. So I'm, I'm a completely different person from the person I was last time. So by clearing, it's a game that I play. By clearing my mind, I feel every question is new. And um, that, that, that's kind of cool. Now, let me um, talk to you about why I talk. And I'm, I'm really lucky because I have all these images of me being a beautiful young woman. And the Little Rock desegregation crisis was one of the most significant historical things to happen in the United States, okay? Because it's got all the components of constitution, states' rights, federal rights, presidents, governors, kids, soldiers to set. It's got, it's the definitive American story. And because I have the images, I can talk about it. And because people continue to be curious about it, and because we're still doing the same thing, it's as if it didn't happen 60 plus years ago in the other century. It's as if it happened yesterday because we're still doing those same things. Imagine how disturbing that is to me. And how does that make you feel knowing that, you know, history is, seems to be repeating itself, knowing that you went through what you did? But that's why I keep talking to young people, because I don't want to be bothered with old people, because they're already set in their ways. And so I'd rather talk to young people, because I know that they are open to learning. So I see the Little Rock thing as a message of hope what young people are capable of doing. And I and I know and I want to the message to be that that you're capable of of much more than people think you are. And uh, complex situations you can negotiate and manage. So to me it's uh 
I see the Little Rock Nine as a group of kids who uh, managed a very difficult situation with a great deal of dignity. So that's kind of what I hope is the message that we all possess that and things can get really complicated and unfortunate, but we are, we have within us the capability of dealing with it and, and being the best we can be. That I think is what I hope my message